0: This is the ultimate college basketball tournament special presented by the Locked On Podcast Network and Odyssey. I'm Tyler Occhi of Locked On Syracuse. She's Candace Cooper of Locked On ACC. Boy, what a championship game we had last night. We'll break it all down. We'll also hear from Rafael Barlow to discuss how the action in the tournament impacted players NBA draft stock. And we'll also look at the state of the sport moving forward as well. But Candace. You as a Tar Heel, I just have to get your thoughts on what went down last night, the agony of defeat, but just the fact that they they built up a 16-point lead after getting punched in the mouth early on by the under-16 timeout, but then they come out, they're dominant leading into halftime, and things just sort of fall apart down the stretch for this Tar Heel team. Regardless, it was an epic national championship game and one that we'll certainly remember for a long time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Listen, at the end of the day, we pretty much saw Carolina season in a nutshell in one game, the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the energy, starting out slow, being able to pick it back up and then not being able to finish the game. At the end of the day, I wish I could give my ankle to Armando Baycott's sacrifice for the sake of everything. If it meant a national championship, I would have done it, but I'm, how can you not be proud of what Carolina did? Nobody told them they were supposed to be, they were a bubble team. And they ended up pulling away a national championship matchup. Like, that's just unreal to me. Like, they should not be hanging their heads. Of course, you want to finish the whole thing with a championship. Of course, that's why you do it. But I'm not upset that number one seeded Kansas did what they came to do. And so, like, hats off to them. We'll see how long it lasts NCAA. But, you know, they'll <laughs> enjoy it for the moment.
0: I look at this game, and it was a really well-played game. I thought you saw some really good defensive performances. You saw some really balanced offensive performances as well. I mean, each team had five guys that went into double figures, and each team had a starter that played two minutes, or that, that just had two points, rather, but played really strong defense and contributed to the cause there. Yeah. But where did you see this game turn? What was the moment for you, Candace, where you were like, uh-oh, this 15-point lead ain't safe?
2: Well, you know, I think it was Leaky Black getting in foul trouble, right? Having four fouls, having to go sit down, your best defender having to take a seat, having to put in Puff Johnson, him getting punched in the gut and literally throwing up the moment, like just oh, being overwhelmed and all of that good stuff and just becoming undone. We know it's a game of runs. You know it's going to happen, but not being able to respond, I think, was UNC's downfall. Caleb Love forcing shots. You know, we've seen it all season. Luckily, at times, it's gone in, but – ball handling with RJ and turning it over. It just really was one of those situations where you just watch the train wreck happening and you can't stop it. And I think Brady not being able to hit some clutch threes, you know, that we're used to him seeing we're used to seeing from him. So all in all. And then of course, I truly believe Carolina won that game had Armando Baycott not slipped and failed,
0: right. but and here we are. <laughs> and he goes down with about 30 <laughs> seconds left. It's yeah. a really, really tough scene to see at the end. So, Caleb love you brought up goes five for 24 in this game. I mean that we didn't get the, the vintage second half Caleb love that we've seen time and time again throughout the tournament. Like we saw against UCLA, like we saw against Duke. And if he does deliver even half of one of those performances, Carolina not only wins this game, but probably wins by double figures too. Um, The other thing that I look to, it was a moment early in the second half. I believe it was leaky black Yeah. I believe it was leaky black inbounding the basketball and nobody's open and he just sort of falls over the end line. And to me, that was kind of the, Oh no, this, (laughs) this lead could be going out the window very, very shortly where he just sort of falls over the end line and, and it ends up going back Kansas's way. And it kind of sparks their run. And even though they had a 15 point lead, they, they now, all of a sudden it became six, all of a sudden it became two. And, and this Kansas team, I mean, credit to them, they played an unbelievable second half. It's really tough to get these guys up for these second halves when you're down 15 at halftime. It's, and the 16-point deficit that they had once upon a time, the largest comeback in NCAA, ter, uh, NCAA championship game history. But Remy Martin came alive in that second half. He goes four for six from three uh, for the course of the game. And he was really the only one hitting threes that you saw in the – the prior games for Kansas especially in that final four game there were a couple guys that were stepping up from three meanwhile it was Remy who really wasn't doing much in that game against Villanova but he steps to the plate off the bench and contributes 14 points and really this game I didn't think it was going to come down to the the play of the bigs because quite frankly I think Armando and and David McCormick sort of neutralized each other at least mm-hmm. as much as they could it came down to which pairing of guards played better and I don't think there was much of a, a a debate here. I think that the the combination of of Remy Martin, Dayon Harris and Christian Brown clearly clearly outplayed RJ Davis and Caleb Love on the other end.
2: Yeah, and again, I think it was a back and forth game and I never get too excited about big leads. I never get too down about being down cuz I think again this team had everything you needed. They knew how to face adversity after that Baylor game you knew like they know what it's yeah. like to blow a lead it's fine no worries i would say the last few plays when armando had to go out and brady unfortunately had to be the big man defender it was a little little bit all she wrote there right like we just know brady <laughs> like man yeah. needed muscle milk all season and that's fine i live with that i'm not i again i don't think you hang your hat too low because mccormick you know he made a clutch shot when they needed to, he was able to, you know, force his way in the inside and you just live with how the game went. Truly. If you are a person who loves college basketball, that game gave you everything you needed.
0: I look at Brady manic too. And just the, the total beat down that he took in this, I mean, the man must've set a record for most elbows taken to a face in a national championship game. <laughs> between that early blow that he took. And then there were a couple others throughout the game that I don't even think they really detailed, but he took some absolute shots in this game and the fact that he was even able to go out there and hit 50% of his threes and grab yeah. 13 rebounds and put up a double double. I thought was super impressive and that to me was something that I'll I'll, I'll never forget the the season that Brady Manik put together for Carolina and I'm sure that when this team is remembered ultimately when they are brought back to the Dean Dome for a reunion of some sort Brady Manic's getting the loudest round of applause. I know Armando's more of the the seasoned guy. Caleb Love had some of those hero moments but the man who endeared himself to Tar Heel Nation is Brady Manik, and yeah. that's going to be certainly a, a welcome back. But looking on the other side a little bit more with Kansas here, you just saw all of these little performances sort of pop up. I mean, Christian Brown, he was fantastic in the second half. He finished this game with a double-double of 12-12. and 12. Oshai Abaji, a little slow in this game, but he hit some big buckets down the stretch. He got that and one. He missed a lot of free throws in this game, too but he hit some big-time buckets for this team when they really needed it. Jalen Wilson put together a couple of solid performances, too. They just got an all-around team effort. Really, both teams got all-around team efforts, but one team had a couple guys who shot themselves out of this game a little bit too much.
2: Yeah, I mean, Caleb Love absolutely shot Carolina out of this game, but then you live and die by Caleb's shots, excuse me. I think Bill Self, you know, credit to him for making second-half adjustments and really getting his team to dig into that lead and ultimately come back and tie it up. And all you needed was Lightfoot to, you know, start to feel some confidence. All you needed, you know, was a couple guys to hit, like, some key shots. And Marie Martin in the corner every single time. You left him open and you were going to pay for it. So I think it's just something where – you, you live with that you know, three-point loss, but at the same time, like, what more could you ask of these guys? Like, you just looked at the end, Carolina drained. You looked at Kansas, they were giving all they got. Like, I think everybody was just like, please, Lord. However it went, everybody was pretty spent.
0: I ask you, Candice, as someone emotionally invested in the first game of the Final Four as well, between Duke and Carolina, did, do you feel like these players almost had too much of an emotional investment in that first game that it came back to bite them. Like, would you blame fatigue at all for why Carolina fell apart at the end?
2: I mean, if you look at Carolina's whole tournament, like that's fatigue, right? If you look at how they had to play against Baylor, that was extreme fatigue. You look at how they had to play against UCLA and it was clutch. That was, you know, Brady Manning had been tired since the game in Cameron. Like, I think for them, all the emotional buildup was high. But if you just, you know, look at – post-game wrap-up videos they're all excited but they understand job's not done they all knew what they really came here for right they were very focused so I think you know ultimately the body's gonna do what it's gonna do they tried their best one day's rest is always difficult but I don't know I don't think that this team was so wound up about the Duke Carolina matchup that they took themselves out of this one because clearly as we saw they were running they just got you know fell out of gas towards the end
0: All right, coming up next, we are going to get into a little bit of what's moving forward. What's the sport going to look like next season? But first, we throw it on over to Rafael Barlow, the the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBADraftJunkies.com. Listen to every MLB game live.
1: the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is kind.
0: Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month.
1: Deep left field, it's gonna go! Alvarez ties the game!
0: Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
1: Now as far as players who helped their draft stock in the tournament, I'll start with J. Lee Williams from Arkansas. He had a good sophomore season where he averaged a little under a double-double in I think that he could be the best passing big man in this draft class. That's, I mean, that's debatable, but I thought that he had a couple big tests in the tournament as he had to go against Paolo Banquero and Chet Holmgren, who could be the first two names called on draft day. And in those games, he had 15 points, 12 boards, 3 assists against Gonzaga. Then he had 19, 10, and 3 against Duke. So I definitely think he helped his draft stock, probably helped it the most. Now, as far as Carroll, now, in my opinion, he was already a top three pick before the tournament, and despite kind of being secure and, you know, like his draft stock, I felt like he helped himself simply because I think he just kind of quieted some of the concerns about his game now. I mean, of course, he goes to Duke, so there's people that are going to really dislike him uh, regardless of what he does, and he'll be compared to either the successful Duke players or the Duke players that kind of struggled. But again, I thought he played well. And I had mentioned in, in in a piece that I wrote for NBA Big Board that Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith took turns as the flavor of the month. But in my latest piece on NBA Big Board, I mentioned that I have been riding the Bancaro bandwagon all season long. Actually, check it out, nbabigboard.com. I just dropped my my latest big board, so that's a shameless plug there, but I remained high on Ben Carroll all season long as my top prospect, and I was glad that at the end of the day, he was the last man standing. He put up 18.8 points, 7.6 rebounds, 3.4 assists, and he shot 50% from the floor, but the big thing was I felt like he silenced the critics about his shooting, and he made 10 out of 19 shots from three, Like I said, I've been driving this Bancaro bandwagon since November and it looks like, you know, we picked up a couple new members. And the reason I'm so high on Bancaro is because I feel like out of all the guys that are projected to go number one or or that have like a a shot at going number one, I think he is the guy that, at least for me, the most comfortable, I would feel the most comfortable with giving him the ball and saying, hey, go make me a play. Go get me a bucket or, or create an opportunity for others. So, I thought that he showed that in the tournament. Again, 6'10", 250, can score in the post, can shoot threes, can pass, can handle. I mean, what what is there not to like? All right, now, even though Ben Carroll, again, like I said, he was going to be top three regardless. I Again, I think he helped his stock. But I believe that Mark Williams, his teammate, may have been the most important player for Duke. You saw when he got in foul trouble against North Carolina, how everything kind of changed. And I think that he helped himself, and I think he put little money in his bank account with his play in the tournament because his play, I think, could possibly push him into the back end of the lottery. You can even make a case and say he may be the second best center prospect in this draft if you have him ahead of Jalen Duran. Now I will say that Duran is a couple years younger, and he's actually supposed to be preparing for his prom this week, but he decided to reclassify, go to school early, so Instead of going to the prom this week, he's actually preparing for the draft. But back to Williams, he actually looked like a younger version of Clint Capella in the tournament. And he shot like 80% from the floor, which was, I mean, that's crazy if you think about it. And another big that similar to Williams that I thought like made a name for himself was Arizona's Christian Coloco. He had this crazy game against TCU. If you saw it... It was probably one of the best games in the tournament, even though, I mean, there was some classics between the Duke-Kansas, I'm sorry, Duke-North Carolina game, and then the Kansas-North Carolina championship game, but that TCU-Arizona game was wild, and Coloco was 12 of 13 from the floor, had 28 points, so I thought that he helped himself there. Man, I mean, there's so many guys, that I don't know if I can name them all in one segment, I, I really like Kennedy Chandler, and uh, unfortunately, he only played one game. I wish he would have had more opportunities, but he made me feel even more comfortable with placing him as a mid first round pick. While others may be a little bit lower on him because he's a small guard, but even though he's like six foot or six one, he has a six five wingspan, so that kind of makes up for it. But I thought he looked good, scored 19 points, had nine assists against Michigan, and it was still. The way that he got in the lane, it was his speed and the way he broke down defenses with dribble penetration that really stood out to me. And for me, I'm like visualizing him with NBA spacing and how much better he'll look. So I thought even though he only played one game, I thought Kennedy Chandler helped himself. Of course, I can't leave out the players from the championship game. And I'll start with Caleb Love. Now, while I do think Caleb Love helped his stock, I don't think he improved it as much as many may think. And this is not just because he had a bad game against Kansas in a championship game. The problem is you just do not know what you're going to get out of him on a nightly basis. Now, I love, no pun intended, I love the fact that he's confident and he's not afraid of the moment. I mean, he's fearless. Like One thing that he does not, does not lack is confidence and he's not afraid to take the big shot. And, you know, the shot selection is probably one of the things that people are concerned about because his shot selection is questionable. But I think it all kind of plays into his confidence. Now, in the tournament, he had big games. Of course, the Duke gang scored 28 points, hit the big shot that, like, literally sent Coach K home. Like, I feel like no matter what he does in North Carolina at Chapel Hill, if he comes back to school, even though he had a bad game against Kansas, he is... I mean, he just put himself in position to be a legend at one of the legendary schools or the top blue blood schools. But he also had 28 points, I'm sorry, 30 points against UCLA. So, again, he has these huge nights, these hot shooting. I mean, he's capable of of reeling off 30 points any game. But, like I said, you don't know what you're going to get from him. He had a game against Baylor where he was one for six from the floor, where he had six turnovers, and then against Kansas, In the National Championship game, you may feel like the Duke-Carolina game was their National Championship game, but against Kansas, biggest game, he missed 19 out of 24 attempts. And at this point, I just feel like he's an acquired taste, but there is a team that may like him enough to put him in the first round, so I think that he helped himself. And then, of course, his teammate Armando Baycott, and in my opinion, he's just not a top 60 player in my latest big board but I can't even front with this production in the tournament. It it, it literally seemed like he had 10 rebounds in the first half of every game, like in the first half. And unfortunately for him, I just think that he was born in the wrong era. There's not a lot of room on NBA rosters for below-the-basket bruisers that don't space the floor and aren't vertical lob threats, but I do think he made a good lasting impression among scouts. You have to help but wonder, or you can't help but wonder, if he doesn't turn his ankle or in the Carolina game, or I'm sorry, the Duke game, and if he doesn't turn it again in the Kansas game, and he's more healthier, bouncier, how much more effective he could have been. But I, I do think that he made a good impression. All right, lastly, let's talk about the boys from Kansas that I think also helped their draft stock, Oche Akbaji. Now, he finished strong after a horrible shooting march like and I had just wrote an article on him on NBA Big Board comparing him to Desmond Bain as the senior that's probably going to slide to the end of the draft because the team is going to take a younger prospect who they think may have a higher upside and kind of ignore his production and choose potential over production as soon as I dropped that article he went ice cold and he had one game where he shot one for 11 from the floor which happened to be on Senior Night. But Kansas fans got a chance to, you know, see him end on a higher note. But before the championship game, he even got off to a slow start in the first three tournament games. And then he caught fire when it mattered most. He had a stretch where he made like eight of nine threes. It was either eight of nine or nine of ten threes. Something insane. But I do think that if he didn't break out of his shooting slump, it would have probably impacted his draft stock more than anyone in this class, despite the fact that he had over 115 games for scouts to evaluate, it's just I think it scouts and evaluators are a little bit harder on seniors than than the younger players. All right, lastly, we'll talk about Christian Brown. Got to make sure I call him Brown, even though his name is spelled like Bron, and he capped off one of the craziest transformations I've seen, and. Simply because in his first two years, all he did was shoot threes. Like, he he was literally a three-point specialist. I knew he could rebound. I knew he had some athleticism. And I knew he had a little soul in his game. But this year, he came back a totally new player. He scored more on drives to the rim than three-pointers. He was a monster in the open floor. I definitely, definitely think he solidified himself as a first-rounder in my eyes. Because you got to love his competitive fire, his shooting, his athleticism. And he, he hit a dagger that sent Villanova home. All right, this is Rafael Barlow, and um, yeah, I just gave you my list of players that I thought helped their draft stock in the 2022 NCAA tournament.
0: All right, the Jayhawks, national champions for a fourth time. A blue blood taking home the crown this season, but what does that mean for the sport moving forward? I, let's just start with who we, see, who we saw rather in the final four this year. Kansas, Villanova, Duke, and Carolina. Do you think any of those four teams will be back in the final four next season?
2: Ooh, next season? I'm not sure. I think that, you know, it all comes down. We know the NCAA tournament, anything can happen. So it's hard to say that definitely they will have four back. I think Villanova would be a definite no for me. I think Kansas, maybe. It depends on, it's like I joked about NCAA violations, but it very much depends (laughs) on how that kind of plays itself out. I think Duke and Shire is going to be interesting to see how he has his first year and the expectations now that you see your neighbor down the street go to a national championship game. The pressure is going to be on him to deliver something like that, if not similar. So yeah, I would definitely say a Final Four is on their charts. But, you know, Hubert Davis, it really depends on who is going to take their talents to the next level, whether they're declaring for the draft and they stay or they're getting their feelers and trying to hear about them. Like, we know Brady's gone. We know Armando more than likely is out, Caleb as well. So how that lineup looks next season, we all, you know, the, the glory of the transfer portal, whoever can come in and gel in 10 months. So I I can't say that all four, I wouldn't even give confidence in all four. Only, per, only team that I say maybe is Duke.
0: I would probably agree with you there. Cause like you mentioned, a lot of these teams are going to be losing a lot, but we know that Duke has the best ammunition to reload with. They've got Mm -hmm. a bunch of the top guys coming in. I believe they've got three of the top four in this upcoming class of 2022 recruiting wise. So they should be able to reload pretty nicely. Meanwhile, I mean, you look at some of the staples that each of these programs are losing. Yeah. Villanova, no Colin Gillespie next year. Kansas, no Shai Baji, the most outstanding player of this tournament, which whether or not he deserved it, we, we can get into that maybe a little bit too. And then Carolina, I mean, pick which one you want. Caleb Love, Armando Baycott, Brady Manick, Those three guys in all likelihood will not be back next season. Caleb Love maybe could come back. But just seeing all of those guys leaving from being on Final Four teams to moving on to the next venture in life is is certainly going to make it a, an uphill battle for a lot of those teams. So if you look at some of the odds here, believe it or not, the the favorite for next season to cut down the nets is Arkansas, currently at ten to one. They're followed by Gonzaga, Kentucky, and Duke, each at eleven to one. Kansas, Houston, Carolina, fourteen to one. A couple other blue bloods in here for you: UCLA at sixteen to one, Michigan, Arizona at eighteen to one, and then. Texas at 20 to one. Do any of those really catch your eye there in terms of contenders for next season?
2: Well, Gonzaga's always a contender. Whether or not they win is another story. Kentucky, you know, they've learned the system of the one and done. So it's, you know, figuring out ways that it works for them this season. They actually had a few more veterans, but, you know, they figured out the system of having young guys come in, play well, and then move on. I think Duke as well will have to figure it out with the loss of Paulo and probably A.J. Griffin, you know, Mark Williams. Like, I think that will be a good adjustment and see how they fare. But they also, too, have figured out how to have young guys, but in big moments. You know, will it matter? It'll matter especially. We've seen how sometimes the moment gets too big for guys who are 18 19 years old. So uh, I think those are the ones that jump out to me most for sure.
0: I would look at, yeah, I think Arkansas is a sneaky, solid pick there. Um, and then another one that that I mentioned too, I think Houston. I mean, the mm-hmm. way that Kelvin Sampson absolutely coached his tail off in this yeah. tournament, it can't be overlooked, and he's bringing in some more talent next year from a recruiting standpoint as well. So I'm excited to see what Houston can do. That, that, that to me, is a a name that I'm looking for heading into next season. But, again, they're always going to have that same little cloud hanging over their heads, much like Gonzaga does, of, well, they don't really play anyone all year. And then the big boys show up in the tournament, and how do you handle that? Now, Houston's been to a Final Four. They're kind of revamping the program, but that's another intriguing name. To me, and, and then I'm I'm really excited to see what Hubert Davis's follow up act is too, because I don't know. I'm wondering, did he set the bar too high here in year one? Can he get like? Listen, the, the Carolina's team is always going to have talent. They always yeah. have. They always will. It's the Carolina brand. It's the jump man on the jersey and the shoes. They're always going to be a draw for college basketball. But let's see what Hubert Davis can do in year two. Again, a lot of people wanted to fire him, but he's clearly the man for the job. He clearly has shown it in year one. And I'm excited to see what his follow-up act is because this is now you're starting to get into the portion where his vision is sort of being realized at this point. A lot of these guys that were on the roster, sure, they were recruited by Hubert Davis, but they were probably told I'm going to play for Roy Williams. And the fact that he retained as many as he did, Mm -hmm. I think is pretty remarkable as well. So I'm excited to see what the the future holds for a guy like Hubert Davis. I think, listen, I'm not saying he can get back to the national championship game next year, but can Carolina make a deep run? I I think Hubert Davis showed this year that, that he's certainly capable of making a ton of deep runs with this Carolina team and this Carolina program.
2: Yeah, I think you know absolutely growth moment for him is figuring out how to use the like use the rotation, use his bench, capitalize on his bench. The iron five is great, but it would have been great to have confidence in a couple guys and give those five a break, right? So I think those are things that he's gonna learn after his first year, building confidence, putting guys in earlier. I feel like because he wanted to do so well in his first year, you didn't nec- if you didn't if you didn't trust you, you was not going in there. If you messed up a couple yeah. times, you was out. So I think as he grows in his coaching he'll be able to get guys in when there's 6 minutes left in the game and not just 2 minutes right so those are some of the you know small things that hopefully with more guys with more experience you get those nice long runs and you have that tournament story now but for him now he has guys who have that experience to talk about he doesn't just have to have coaches who tell the, you know the players like yeah this is what it was like like they have those stories so you know credit to him and that staff really for helping them get those those experiences that I think ultimately will help Carolina's program stay in the conversation for years to come
0: the perfect example of that is Puff Johnson I -hmm. mean we hadn't seen a ton of (laughs) Puff Johnson all year and he damn near won the the most outstanding player of the tournament with, with the performance that he put together in this game I mean how many tough Shots, big shots that he hit. He had that one up and under around McCormick. He had the corner three. He took a charge in this game. I mean, he was wreaking havoc everywhere on the floor. And for him to go out and put together the performance that he did in this matchup, I think it's going to instill a lot of confidence in Hubert Davis. And maybe you'll see him dig a little bit deeper into his bench and trust his bench a little bit more moving Mm -hmm. forward because of what Puff Johnson provided in the national championship and nearly propelling this team to a victory in the, in the title game.
2: No, I completely agree. I mean, Puff Johnson, I would have never – if you told me Puff Johnson was going to be the person who ultimately gets Carolina back into that game, I wouldn't have believed you. Barring getting hit in the stomach, I think he still would have been rolling. But you live and you learn, you move forward, and it's all going to be learning experiences, right? These guys are going to be better because of what happened. I mean, 2016 team, the 2016 team did that, and look, they came back for redemption. I don't know if this is a redemption team, but I'm super glad that they got these experiences.
0: Lastly here, let's talk a little bit about the most outstanding player of the tournament, and it ends up being Oshai Abaji. And it wasn't like Oshai played terrible. Again, it's a a final four award here, and he was fantastic in the first game. But to me... I really think the most outstanding player should have been David McCormick. When you look at the performances he put together 25 in the final four against Nova 15 and 10, he put together two really strong performances, the double double in the championship game after battling some foul trouble. And then the 25 and nine against Villanova season high, 25 points. I know a lot of people were, were really frustrated with something like that, the way that all that went down, but Um, I I mean, Oshaya Baji's the face of the Kansas program. I just felt like David McCormick was a little more instrumental in them winning this final four
2: yeah I think when you talk about you know college basketball in the, the day we know politics runs a lot of this stuff so as much as we like when you talk about Joel Berry getting the nat- most outstanding player and his name being in the Raptors and arguably Kennedy Kenny- Kennedy Meeks should have been the most outstanding player so I think it just goes back to you know who's the hottest name in the moment or who is the guard or mm-hmm. who is the one who's been you know the star player so it's I mean it's not a knock on him it's definitely just something where if you were doing it in real time and not over a full body of work, I definitely wouldn't have given it to McCormick as well.
0: All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this fun series here, breaking down the entire NCAA tournament. Next up on this feed in the coming weeks will be our special NFL mock draft series. So stay tuned for that. For Candace Cooper, I'm Tyler Rocky. This has been the ultimate college basketball tournament special presented by the Locked On Podcast Network and Odyssey.